G'day guys and welcome back to Lawfinder, a Pathfinder history podcast by the Hubble Goblin Company. Today we're going to dive back into the history and lore of the Pathfinder universe. I'm your host Liam, and with me once again today is my co-host Brad. Thanks Liam, and hi all, and thank you for listening. Today we're going to be talking about more of the ages that lead up to the current Galarian timeline. We're going to be starting off with the Age of Darkness, also known in Tiancia as the Age of Ashes, so... Let's get started. The Age of Darkness is a thousand-year period in which the sun's light was blocked by the ash, knocked into the atmosphere by the meteoric impacts of Earthfall, which is what happened at the end of our last uh, session, episode, if you were listening. This happened in year 5293 AR, which basically just means before the current age, I suppose you could say. Uh, during this time... Oh, minus. Sorry, yeah, good point. Negative. They go backwards. Uh, it's like BC, I guess you could say. Um, during this age, most of the previous major civilizations across Galarian were literally wiped out. Turns out it's very hard to live when there is no sun in the sky and everything is chaos. So, basically, anarchy and destruction live. Woohoo! Conversely, over on the continent of Tiancia, uh, Earthfall ushered in the Age of Ashes, which is the earliest historical period in the imperial calendar of that landmass. Even though it occurred on the opposite side of Galarian, that's Earthfall, it still caused significant natural disasters in Tiancia as well. The name of the age derives from the dust that was thrown up not only by the meteor's impact, but it also combined with a large amount of ash expelled from countless volcanoes, again triggered by Earthfall, which blotted out the sun for many years and caused massively harsh winters everywhere, but especially there. So it's probably important to realize that there's a couple of major continents in Pathfinder, but the two primary ones is Tiancia on one side, and then like Gorunda and Avistan on the other. Well, the two fleshed so, out ones. <laughs> yeah, there is, there's a third one that's a fourth one. I don't know. Fourth, it's just kind of yeah, yeah, they're just kind of left there. Um, but we'll get to those one day, hopefully. Who knows? Arcadia and Casmeron, but uh, yeah, we'll get there one day. But yeah, the important thing is this thousand years of darkness. Well, last week we talked about all these amazing epic empires. We talked about the Aslant, the Thessalonian empires, Golgar and the Cyclopean Empire. Um, and yeah, now they're they gone. They all dead. Bye. Yeah, it turns out it's very hard to maintain an empire when a rock falls. Well, first of all, it on Aslant literally fell on them. Um, and thousands of little shards and everything. But still enough destroyed Aslan that there was nothing left. Uh, Thassalon went with them because they were just next to him, basically. And Golgan, same thing. But they were already having a lot of issues before that even started. Yeah, and it's hard to uh, keep an empire thriving when you can't grow anything because there's no sun anymore. Unless you're used to living underground. Which is actually where some of our next empires founded from. And of course, like any good dwarf, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the first dwarven empire of Tar Targath, which was founded a little while after, about 100 and something years, 160 years or so after the Earthfall, because the dwarves in Pathfinder had a prophecy from their god Tarog, who is the god of the forge, the forge father who carved the dwarves out of stone, yada yada, dwarven pantheon. Um, but they gave them, he gave them a prophecy, which was that when the ground rumbles, thou shalt push upwards to the sky, for there is your future. Um, and then when freaking meteorite hit the ground, they were like, oh, this is probably it, right? Uh, That'll do. 
<laughs> That'll do. So, of course, they're like, let's start going. And then all the different clans of dwarves were like, yes, but this direction. And they're like, no, but this direction. And ensued dwarven bickering slash fighting for about a couple of decades. Until along came one dude in particular whose name was Targik. He was the great general, and he basically went, Oi, you, slap. Beat the crap out of everyone and went, we're going this way. And, yeah, that worked for a bit, anyway. And they started pushing upwards for over 300 years. They were like, let's go straight up. It's the opposite of Minecraft, where you go straight down. Uh, Quest for Sky. Yes, and along the way, they ran into their lovely friends, goblins and orcs, and they basically went, Get the fuck out the way! Um, which the orcs promptly decided, let's go away from these guys, which means they also went up. And they actually ended up getting to the, to the you know, sky first, because they were running away from the dwarves. Um, well, before they did get there, uh, your great king, because you're the dwarf, not me, yeah. founded his own dwarven empire. Yes, well, that was his kind of push to the north, kind of the, the north, the up, uh, kind of unified all these dwarves together in the Empire of Tartagath, which I said was the first big dwarven empire as they pushed towards the ground, sky, whatever, you know what I mean. Exactly, and that was founded in minus 5133 AR. So a little bit after the, the meteorite. Yeah, so and about um, 21 years later, I believe in minus 5102AR, is when the first orcs emerged from the Darklands, fleeing the dwarves who were pushing As they should be. (laughs) Lots and lots of angry dwarves, a lot more than there is now. Oh, Um, there was hundreds of thousands in a single war camp at that stage. Exactly. Like, the the thing is, they've obviously got a very slow reproduction rate, but they've been living underground for untold amount of time, so they'd had the time to uh, kind of grow their civilization. And if you remember last week, we talked about those vault builders. Um, Turns out they actually were living in one of those old, old vaults, which is kind of interesting. So, yeah, they kind of pushed up from there. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, over in Tiansia, uh, the darkness that covered the land called to these beings in the Plain of Shadows. The Wei Yang, um, which uh, they they were originally native to the Plain of Shadows. Uh, They are the weirdest little humanoid creatures you've ever seen. Uh, I don't know, have you seen a goblin? Yeah, I mean, goblins are also pretty weird. But the Wayangs, they're kind of similar in structure to gnomes, except they've got, like, yellow, white eyes. Their hair is all stringy and oily. They're disgusting little things. Um, But yeah, so they first slipped through from the Plain of Shadow and settled parts of Tiansia during the Age of Darkness. Strange little creatures, but it is the cool thing that there is literally different races on the different continents that it's technically like a playable race. They're not evil or good aligned, they're just people, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. so if you're playing, uh, I think the only adventure path that is set in TNC, uh, Jade Region, I believe they are like easily a playable race if you, once you get over there. So. Yeah, you don't start there. You start in Varissia, because apparently 90% of all things start in Varissia. Um, and, 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 and 95% of them are starting Sandpoint. Yeah, um. good old Sandpoint. <laughs> no, it's only like three that start in Sandpoint, to be perfectly honest, but that's still yes, disproportionate but number. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, then, speaking of the Plane of Shadows, though. Yes, I was about to say. Um, so, everyone's favourite uh, lawful banker god, Abadar, during the Age of Creation... Banished Zon Kathon from the Plane of Shadow and basically every and the known world and basically went, 
You can't come back as long as the sun hung in the sky. Zonkathon, using a loophole, obviously, went, Ooh, Earthfall, there's no sun in the sky. I'm gonna get my way back there now. I'm back, bitches! <laughs> <laughs> and and saw unfortunately for Abadar, yeah, Abadar is the god of laws and contracts. If you can get out of a contract, his hands are tied. So he's like, oh, you! Um, and that's about all he could actually do against the Prince of Pain. Uh, who forces his way back into reality. So, for those of you not aware, Zonkuthon is literally the uh, Dark Prince. He is a lawful evil god of sadists and masochists and envy and pain and darkness and loss. What a, just a great guy! But, to be fair, in the beginning, he wasn't evil. He was the son of the Spirit Wolf Throne and half-brother to Shelm. He was a Dubrawl. Something happened to him to turn him into that. But we'll get into that in a later episode when we talk about some of the gods. Um, but now he is that evil darkness uh, that lives in the Shadow Plane. But they might, he can't be completely evil, though. Because you know what he did with the people of the Nadal during this time, yeah? Mm, tell me. Basically what happened was Earthfall happened. It's like, there's darkness everywhere. Impossible to grow your food. Zonkathon uses his loophole, gets back and sees that there's this real dark, shadowy place in what will one day be called Nadal, where there's all these humans trying to eke out an existence that haven't quite fallen into barbarity yet. So he offers out his hand, and he says, I will save you if you promise me your eternal obedience. Yeah, what a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. They accept it. Which is why Nadal is one of the longest... If not, sorry, one of the oldest countries in Galarian. Because of this. Yeah, turns out people are like, let's go to war against the people that literally worship and are governed and protected by the god of death. Not death, sorry, the god of, like, pain and masochism. People don't tend to want to go to war with them. They've tried, just hasn't worked very well. <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah, and so Zonkathon, before any other empires sprung up, or even before the darkness had receded... Forged his own little empire right in the middle of Abistan. Meanwhile, down in Grunt, uh, as we draw closer towards the end of the Age of Darkness, uh, in minus 4363 AR, an event that would come known as the Reign of Stars happens in the sky above Numeria. Now, Brad knows I'm not a huge fan of uh, mixing technology with my fantasy. You are not, but this is still a very cool event. Some people thought it was actually another meteorite, and they freaked the hell out. So for those of you not aware, Numeria is rather high up in the north bounds, just like near the Landolinon Kings and stuff. Um, and pretty much what happened is stuff fell from the sky again, a collection of stars. And people were terrified that it was a meteorite, but what it actually was, was a gigantic spaceship that broke up on a collision course, created a meteor-like shower, and then chunks fell all across Numeria. Um, some the size of fists, and others as large as cities. So there are quite literally, um, like, super dungeons, I guess you could say, hidden beneath the sands of Numeria. Because Numeria, nowadays, is a mixture of Conan the Barbarian meets, like, magic tech. Um, and super space metals and stuff. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's where a lot of the adamantine and other sky metals actually show up from, um, which is pretty cool. 
Uh, and there is alien culture and space magic and guns and stuff there. If you are a fan of this, check out the Iron Gods Adventure Path. And if you are not like Liam, then pretend it doesn't exist, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, because like, originally it was part of the ancient land of Sarkoris as well, um, a little bit later on. Um, so like, it, it's still within, like, wrapped up within that Kellard kind of nation area. Uh, but yeah, then things happened... And it gets out of that, but... Yes, the Technic League now rules. Yeah. And yeah, so that's basically the last known event that happened during the Age of Darkness. Uh, but unlike the Inner Sea region, where basically after the Thousand Years, the Darkness disappeared, uh, the Age of Ashes lasted much longer in Tiansia, uh, and it lasted well into this Inner Sea's Age of Destiny, uh, partly because of the volcanoes erupting, and partly because the Imperial Calendar doesn't actually start until they founded their first empire. Um, which... Because is there is no history until... that is not sanctioned history. Exactly. <laughs> and that's like that's not until, at least, I think, around minus 2,500. Um, so that's still 2,000-ish years past the end of the Age of Darkness. Mm. Well, that's a long time. Yeah. But that kind of wraps up what we know about the Age of Darkness. Uh, we, Turns we out not much all... happened when everyone dies. <laughs> yeah, when you when you wipe the world clean with a giant meteorite, uh, true Ultron style. Yeah, no one's really left to record much more of the history. But we're just going to take a quick break. We'll be right back, uh, and we're going to talk about the next age, Brad, which is the Age of Anguish. Du, du, du. Age of Anguish, which is a term used by the Galarian historians to describe a roughly 800-year period, uh, starting when the skies finally cleared from the dust, which was in minus t- uh, 4294 AR. And this age is really characterised by the conflicts of really barbaric primitive people uh, in their struggle to kind of grasp land and dominion, just survive the world that was left after the Age of Darkness broke it. Half. We probably should specify this is the uh, Avistan and Gurundi side of the world, not the TNCI. They had their own Age of Ashes going on that went throughout this entire period. Yeah, and well into the Age of Destiny, which is the next segment. So. Yeah, so this is this basically they were just like trying to survive. Meanwhile, over here in basically, you know, Avistan and Gurund, all shit hit the fan. And it kind of started off in minus 4202 with gnomes showing up. Because gnomes actually used to live in the first world, which is the land of the Fae, the eternal and ever-changing world where no one can die and everything is eternal. And then they were like, let's go to Galarian because of reasons. No one quite knows why or how, but they did start showing up. And then they found out, holy crap, we can die? This isn't cool, but they were kind of stuck here. Uh, Which is why gnomes are a really interesting thing. Gnomes don't age like people do. 
They only age if they're bored. A gnome that continues to experience new things will not get older. But as they do not experience new things, they start to actually bleach and become colorless. I don't know if you know, but gnomes usually have very colorful hair. And by the time they hit white, they generally die. Um, Some survive and become terrifying, but that's not what this is about. The average gnome still only does live for about two or three hundred years. They don't live that long. Um, That's a very, very, very old gnome. But some can live longer. It's just incredibly rare for them to do that. Uh, Most of them only live to, I think, about 150 to 160. So, yee. Anyway, gnomes, boom. Check your gardens. Small, annoying little things. Also explains why they're always trying to make new things and pull pranks and do silly stuff. Is because if they don't experience something new, they literally start dying. Yeah. Imagine how many people would be dead right now in that moment. Yeah. Please <laughs> <laughs> no. So, about 80 years after the gnomes first wandered their way into Galarian because they're crazy, uh, in northern Gurund, in minus 4120 AR, the Jiska. Empire, Empyrean, sorry, was founded. The Jiska Empyrean was the first human kingdom that established itself uh, in the inner sea after the centuries of darkness. Uh, its citizens spoke its own language, Jiska, uh, but that language did become the basis of Skull, Verissian, Taldane. And they ruled over Garand for a, about 700 years. Uh, they were very religious uh, and they're mostly Gurundi people but a lot of their ruins are trying to try to think of them like the Babylonians I guess is the easiest real world equivalency for them because there is a hanging city of Teskra um, <laughs> they're kind of Babylonians mixed with a little bit of Egyptians because they've also got the tombs of the emperors and things like that as well uh, but yeah so they were the first real human Empire set up after Earthfall. Yeah, that wasn't like ancient Aslanti slash Thessalonian slash magic user yeah, type thing. Exactly. Yeah, because that was a very much giant magical empires. This is more normal people empire. <laughs> so the, it was a little bit. It wasn't magical in the respect that it was like magic, magic, but they did have a, like a lot of like genie kin kind of people within their order. Yes. But it wasn't so. their own power. That's yeah, one of the no, big differences. It wasn't. Yeah. Which is interesting because yeah, there is this whole thing about the whole power thing, and the, one of the issues with power is that sometimes it can displace things. Yeah. Definitely. You wanna you wanna talk about him? Oh yes, of course. Um, the great power on a far off continent of Casmarong. There lies a place called the Pit of Gormuz. Which is also the prison of Rovagog. From this pit, in minus thirty-nine twenty-three, the first spawn of Rovagog pull, pulled itself forth, and it would be later known as Ulanat, the unholy first, uh, a beetle-like creature that we're going to get to a little bit into the age of, in the Age of Destiny for other reasons. Um, but yeah, it was around this time that it started kind of pulled itself out of the pit. And started uh, terrorizing the uh, continent of Casmarin. Yeah, it turns out it's very hard to kill something that is big enough to be a palace by itself, basically. Has a horn that can absorb arcane energy and reflect it back at you. And is literally made out of blades and 
mirrored of Imperious, carapace. And, uh, yeah, and impossible to puncture Chip Kite. Kite, yeah. Said. Basically, it's a... Think of a humongous, terrifying scarab that is... I, 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 I don't actually have the size for it, but I'm fairly certain it's the size of a palace because of reasons. I think, it's, I think it might even be bigger, to be in all honesty. But yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Just big, 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 big. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and pretty much impervious hide. I don't think anyone knows how it actually died. Uh, not... Oh, we'll get to that in the Age of Destiny, I think. We'll leave, okay, leave we'll that there. Oh no, there is someone who did kill it. We'll get, we'll get. Yes, 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 yes. Anywho, about the same time though, a couple about actually no, about two hundred years after that. Actually, it's, see, this is the tricky part. Dwarves, as I said, were coming up, and you better get this party started. Um, and they burst out of the ground. All the orcs were like, "Run!" Um, and the dwarves were like, "I will be having this," and just started making what they called sky citadels, which was humongous dwarven fortresses that just started popping up all around Avistan and Garun, just just everywhere because they basically hit the sky in their opinion and went oh okay we're here um and then started building cities and they did higher higher daddy higher (laughs) yeah but they don't build small they're like oh sweet let's make a place for our hundred thousand closest dwarves um and so they did so each of these sky citadels are freaking colossal and I believe there was about 10 or so that they built. Fortified cities, massive feats of engineering. Like some of them, like Yanderhof, literally has a wall, a curtain wall made out of iron. So they didn't like, no, let's just carve a stone wall into this mountainside. No, they built an iron wall for some reason. Um, so there's these humongous cities that they built. And it was all great for a while. Um, but remember those people they scared out? The, the orcs? Yeah. Turns out when you spend hundreds of years going to war with them, get to the surface and decide, oh, look, there's those freakish guys that ruined our quest for the sky. Let's go get them. Uh, they start to get upset with you. So some of these different citadels out there were pretty impressive, as I said. But there was one of the first ones that came out, which was the Dwarven Sky Citadel of Koldukar, which was one of the first ones. And at this time... All the orcs had been gathering, because they basically decided, we aren't going to take this shit anymore. So they got together a absolutely colossal force, a massive horde, if you will, and decided, let's just siege the crap out of Koldukar. So Koldukar had over 100,000 dwarves, which at this time frame is mind-boggling how many people there is. And yet, there was one orc, Belkson himself, who gathered together, I don't know how many tribes of orcs. It was, I yeah, we don't have a quantifying number because of the amount that died trying to take this city. But take it they did, and therefore founded the holds of Belkson eventually, what it would become to be known. But most importantly, it was the first time that the orcs, unfortunately and sadly, kicked the crap out of the dwarves. I hope I could say that was the last time it happened, but it's not. It is definitely not. Uh, Pop Chris, do you know the uh, names of any of the other citadels? Yes. Yeah, so as I said, Yanderhof was one of them. You had Koldukar, which was the first one. 
Um, High Helm is one of the only ones that still are like massively populated, which is in the Five Kings Mountains. It was also one of the last, last built, I think, because I know it was built during the Age of Destiny. Yeah, it was a bit of an older one. There was Dongun Hold, which is uh, had access to the Darklands that they very much had to seal off after a while. Uh, Kragodan, which is in Nurmathas. Um, and then there is one near Taldor, which is Kravenkas, I believe. Um, yeah, and then they've, they've lost a couple, unfortunately. Yeah, they the lost Koldakar uh, Jormundun. Jormundun, yeah. Jormundun, sorry. Which actually fell to the Dwega, who are the dwarves that when the earth shook and all the dwarves were like, let's go up, they were like, nah, I'm good, bro, and decided to stay down and slowly was twisted in the Darklands to become the dark dwarves of the Dwega. Who follow um, the evil dwarf from the, from the Pantheon. Droskar, I believe. Uh, Droskar, yeah, that's yeah. it. Except the ones who live in uh, Jormundun, who apparently now worship the demon lord uh, Shivaska. Mm. Yes, basically <laughs> they're not they're not great people. Yeah, they get along so, well with Drow. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, so they're the seven quote unquote known citadels. Um, rumors hold there is two in the Moangi Expanse. One in the Moangi Expanse. One in the uh, Tua Uplands of the Expanse. Uh, and the tenth one has never been officially told by anybody. Yeah. Um, at Paizo. Paizo, please tell us. I'm hoping you always got to keep something in, in secrets. Well, the weird thing is the Darklands doesn't just reach Avastan and Garand. It also does Casmeron and uh, Arcadia. So surely that tenth one has to be on one of those continents. We'll have to find out. <sighs> Damn it, Pathfinder. Damn it, uh, Paizo. Mm. But, but anyway, back to the top of the world... Or the other side of the world, anyway. If we were to pop around about this same time, there was some interesting things happening. So, as you went back in Tiansia, there was this Age of Ashes going on. But if you remember last time, we talked about the fact that there was uh, a Naga-based empire going on there that was still actually doing okay. And they made slave race called the Nagaji, which are... I'm snaky people, I guess you could say. And that's in about minus 3703, they first met some of the other humans on Tiansia and naturally decided, you're different from me, we should kill you, uh, and ensued two million years of, sorry, two millennia of conflict. So... It's like the French and the British all over again. Yes. Uh, Apple? It's, it's, oh, Apple, bomb the dead. Ah, 2,000 years of conflict. Um... <laughs> So, yes, the Nagaji and I believe the humans are still fighting? Oh, no, no, it ended uh, while... Yeah, it, it did yeah. end a fair bit back. But, um, yeah. Went on for a while. Yeah. Yes. Still some tensions, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and as the Age of Angus was drawing to a close, uh, the Jiska Imperium, obviously, was the one uh, place that had a good human civilization. But a little further south, there was a little old man called Jitembe who wandered the world, basically. Not just our world, but also the great beyond. And he spent his entire time making deals with angels, demons, and all number of inhabitants. So you remember last episode, Brad, when we were talking about... Uh, uh, what's his name? Idisiris? Idisiris? The god of the serpent folk? Yeah. So, someone happened to find its head. That someone was Old Man Tembe. A lot of his knowledge about magic, law, the written word, 
came from not only his dealings with these other otherworldly inhabitants, but from that severed head of a god. Yes. And then after he was done, didn't he? he saw his mouth shut so he couldn't tell anyone else? Yeah, so dangerous was the information that that head held, he sewed its mouth shut. Now it's one of the relics that apparently is being kept in the Magical Academy um, in Magambia. Yes, but this is interesting because it's actually one of the first people, as I said. Like, um, if you think about Jiska, they didn't have powerful magic. But Old Magic Tembe was a wizard and an archmage of really powerful potential. Stupidly powerful, yeah. So almost getting close to what the actual rune lords and the Asland had, uh, which is pretty intense. But it's even known that their situations are Old Man Jatembe, for example, would sit down and take tea with Baba Yaga. If you remember who Baba Yaga is. I assume oh, yeah. people know who Baba Yaga is. <laughs> if not, we'll get there when we uh, talk about uh, the Irisen. land of the Ice Queens. Yeah, but yes. eventually. <laughs> yes. But yeah, um, when he did this, he uh, took ten... Uh, magic warriors basically under his belt as well his disciples um, he's, yeah his ten disciples each of which had a different uh, animal he had the azure leopard, the black heron carmine jaws, the elephant golden snake, the ibex the shifting frog, the verdant spider the whistling kite and the white bull and they were the ten people that he I quote unquote when I say people as well because a lot of rumours were that they weren't all just people. The Golden Snake was rumoured to be a Nagaji. The Carmine Jaws was apparently a Knoll. Um, and then even the Shifting Frog was apparently one of the local population of elves. So it was a whole mix of powerful magic users, even including an intelligent orc, <laughs> that he gathered together under his kind of guise to found this magical city, this place of magical learning where people could come and learn all about different kinds of magic. And then they obviously went off and had all of their adventures that would fill multiple comic books, I'm sure. <laughs> They're basically the... Um, if, like, King Arthur was a wizard, it's basically King Arthur and his knights. But it's, you know, Jatembe and his ten magic warriors. It's a pretty good way to sum it up. Yeah, they were pretty, pretty incredible, but unfortunately they were in Lower Gurund, so a lot of that stuff didn't make it up to Higher Avistan for a little while, which was a real shame. Yeah, uh, in saying that, um, as much as I'm a Pathfinder second, first edition person, not a second edition person, uh, they did just release uh, the Mwangi Expanse history book Ooh. a month a bit ago. It's a really, really interesting read. I've been slowly going through it, and there is a lot more stuff in there. Um, about it, and I actually am really looking forward to talking about that with someone at some point as well. Very nice. Yeah, I know, like, as much as, again, I am a first edition person, some of the lore that comes out of second D, I'm partial to. I just don't like the lore system. 100%. 100%. And again, that kind of wraps up. This was only an 800-year period, but as you can see, a lot of things really happened. Uh, now the world, the sun, Saren Ray, was shining back down upon the world. She's not actually oh, the sun. I know. The protector of the sun. But really like started to bring a lot of the humans together a lot of the races became more civilized again now they could actually grow their own food and stuff like that and they started clawing their way out of the barbarianism they descended into over the thousand years of earthfall so why don't we take a short break then and then we can Sounds chat about perfect. the final one before the common era which is the age of destiny oh, 
We've got one more after Age of Destiny, but we're going to talk about that next week. Oh, it's before the, the common era. It's not the common oh, time. Oh, common era, yes. Yeah, yes, yes. we finally got out of negatives and into normal numbers. <laughs> oh, very true. All right, everyone, we'll All see right. you in a second. Thanks, guys. Don't touch that dial. guys and welcome back all right we're going to dive straight into the age of destiny which encompasses from minus three four seven zero ar up until one ar uh, and it began with a very with the founding of a very important empire uh, within grand really and avastan still spanned and still goes on today but that started when that first spawn we talked about in the last section, Woolenut, the unholy first, was ravaging across ground. Yeah, kind of scums across, and it's like, ooh, Apara, I'll take that. Om nom 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 nom. Ooh, this looks tasty. Om nom 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 nom. <laughs> and at this point in time, none of those cities even existed. They were just all small settlements and towns of, like, a disparate people, because uh, the Jisk Empire didn't really extend into modern-day Assyria. Until Agzad, the, f- the first, eventually he'd be called the uh, All-Seeing, the first pharaoh of Assyria, bought down, quote-unquote, killed Ulanut. He claims he killed Ulanut. Many people saw him, quote-unquote, kill Ulanut. And he said that he channeled the full power of Nethus through him to do so. But that's not technically true, because the spawn of Rovagog are unkillable. By their very definition, they have the spark of divinity in them from Rovagog, and they're impossible to kill. Ulanat was just banished, kind of into its own little pocket realm, uh, beneath where its physical carcass fell when that power of Nethus kind of hit it. Thankfully, for all intents and purposes, it's out of commission, though. Yeah. Uh, and seeing this, everyone kind of rose Agizad up, Asgard up, sorry, and made him the first pharaoh. Of course, the first thing he does, Brad... He actually goes, you know what, this giant colossal carapace would make a great palace. So, yeah, literally decides to make, uh, live in the beast that he's laid, which is sort of a real feather in his cap to start off with. Um, and now that has become the, I guess, the centerpiece of Sothis, the still to this day capital of Assyria. Indeed. There's nothing better to build your uh, city around than a giant spawn of... The fall, first spawn the of... The corpse Rivergog. of your fallen foes. <laughs> uh, and while this was happening, not long after Syrian had been founded by uh, Asgard, the first pharaoh, to the west, uh, about 20 years later, a group of desert nomads got together uh, in northern Gurund, and they formed an alliance. And this alliance is known, or was known, as the uh, Tekratani League. Tanin, sorry, Tekratani League. Uh, and they covered a huge area, 
what is now modern day Thuvia. Um, and yeah, basically they were just a group of nomadic people that kind of united because the Jiska Imperium a little bit further west and then Syrian was on the east kind of just hounding these nomads trying to take land off them um, just coming in to kind of take what they wanted and so Tekratan and League kind of got together and was like uh, no, we're going to stop please here. stop, we are big now <laughs> there are lots of us together, stop and they were like, oh fine <laughs> yeah, and I think the real reason they did it was because it was founded and like the, all these nomads were kind of going back and forth across the land it was really the most fertile place north of the mount, like of the mountain ranges that kind of separated northern Korea from the um, Mwangi expanse mm. and yeah the Jisker Imperium and the and Assyrian just wanted this fertile land to grow food for their people turns out people want to eat what, what, how rude yeah how dare they uh, but yeah so this is when they, they were founded mm. now about this same time, a couple of... Actually, no, there's a couple of years, 100 years passed, and about 200-something years passed, isn't it? Uh, everyone kind of stabilized, and then in, like, 3064 AR, there were the Usish, who were... There was a few different pharaohs that have kind of gone by, and one of the pharaohs was the pharaohs of the Forgotten Plagues. And um, the Usish were necromantic followers of this pharaoh, and they captured a Ifriti commander from the Jistkin Empire. And actually transformed him into a ghoul. Not a ghoul, but a ghoul. Which is an undead djinn, basically. Who... How do you describe them? The cursed is all fuck? <laughs> it's probably the nicest way to yeah. say it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And... Yeah, like, it's, it's so hard to make them as well. Because it's like, they have to die when they're in disfavor to fate. Like, it's not like you can just kill it and it becomes that. You need to make sure fate really doesn't like them when you kill them. Mm. <laughs> and that's actually, I think, where the first ghouls started to come out from, if I remember correctly? Or is that... I believe yeah, so. Um, and yeah, they were called the Great Ghouls, and they were um, terrifying if they became a lot more powerful as well when they did this. But they basically infected this ghoul um, with a terrible disease known as the Night Plague. Uh, and then, because naturally no one can ever get along, they were like, hey, you know who's doing really great and almost as great as us, but clearly not as great? It's clearly this Jisco Imperium up north. Well, let's send them this guy. And yeah. so started a terrible, terrible time for the Jisco Imperium that eventually ended up in them literally getting wiped out. Yeah, it took, took a couple of hundred years after this, but it was definitely the start of the downfall of the Jisker Empire. Yeah, it took a while to spread, but yeah, it did not go well. Yeah. And while we do know that uh, on the other side of the world, in Tiancia, they were still in their Age of Ashes, uh, in what is roughly minus 2884 AR, which in their Imperial calendar is minus 384 in the imperial calendar of Tiancia, uh, Budu uh, Budugana, sorry, Budugan, Budugan. Uh, no, it's Budugana because it's a Mongolian no. type name. The N has an A after it. It's very strange. Okay. Uh, he declared himself the first Khan of the country of Hongul. Hmm, I wonder where they got that name from. So we finally have it <laughs> exactly. 
But so they, we finally have a human country establishing itself in Tiansia. Human-led country, anyway. Those humans, they just were ruled over by dragons and other various peoples. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, that that happened in minus 2884 AM. And a couple of hundred years later, back on, you know, the uh, Avasan Gurundi side of the world, we actually have the Shori Empire, which was founded by one of the Ten Magic Warriors, right? One of your faves. Yep. Yep, Black Heron, um, who, yeah, essentially was really really powerful aeromancer uh, really powerful with elemental magic himself um, and he trained a tribal council of the Shori people to essentially use aeromancy um, and they became masters of this to the extent uh, where they started creating incredible things not quite yet a couple another couple of hundred years went by before they did um, but yeah so they just became this incredible empire known for their aromantic infatibulum which is their air magic basically and a couple of years later back in TNCI side of the world there was a bit of a panic going on because Mount Shibotai actually erupted in what is now the Minato region of TNCI and covered the continent in ash and darkened the skies again and everyone was like oh shit not again um but thankfully turns out it was just like one volcano and they were fine after a couple of weeks but still collective shit scared for a while was probably not a good time to be anyone exactly and 25 years later from that date uh the yi sing empire was founded in which marks the year one ic of the imperial calendar of tiansia and beginning the Age of Ascendancy in Tiansia as well. So they've finally come out of their own Age of Ashes, Age of Ashes yeah. and into their age. Very nice. Now, you were talking about the Shori, yeah. just talked about as well. So the Aromancers became so good at magic that they found that the Empire f- essentially founded Ko, K-H-O, which was the first of their flying cities. And... Like, it's not... Flying buildings and things were not unheard of before this, as you and I have talked about mm-hmm. before. Um, with Thassalon, they did have some flying cars. Yes, no, it was rare like still, but it was doable. They kind of brute-forced it, though, but is this, the difference. <laughs> exactly right. Whereas Ko was this giant flying... Like, the first flying city. Like, huge actual city. Um, hundreds of... Th- hundred thousand people or so that they kind of lifted off with. Um, and they did that all thanks to that um, aromantic infatibility that they were known for. Mm, which is a bit of a shame that it's been lost, but yeah. But yeah, that all came down because of the theories passed down by old man Jadembe. Yes, and Black Heron. And then we had a bit of peace for a while, which is strange. But we did have about 350 years of peace. Which is... But say, quote unquote, quote unquote peace. Uh, pharaohs rose and fell within Assyrian... Um, Things happened every which way. Uh, the Jisker Empire had fallen by this mm. point in time as yeah, well. Yeah, thanks to uh, the good old Assyrians. Assyrians so, and yeah. plagues. I mean, the plague didn't actually wipe out the empire. It was the plague made the nobles pedantic. The nobles' pedanticness made the uh, infighting happen. The infighting, as it always does, is what takes out empires. No empires really die to like outside sources until they start fighting themselves. It just seems to be a common thing that happens. But 
back off in TNCR in the year minus 1987 if you're on Avistan Grundy, or the year 513 in the Imperial calendar. The dragon-ruled empire of Tsiahoi is founded in southern Tianxia, which is, again, one of those um, good dragons, not the bad ones that we're used to in Avistan and Garun. These are the imperial dragons, the sovereign dragons that actually are not all shitheads most of the time. Yeah. I mean, they're not necessarily good, but they're... Yeah, they, they have their domains that they look after. So there would be things like forest dragons and sky dragons and lake dragons as opposed to our colourful assortment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so now we have a dragon ruled empire to mix in with the Naga and the uh, Hongul people and the the uh, Yixing, Yixing Empire. All the merrier, well. right? Yeah. In northern Avistan during this time, uh, back over, again, another three to four hundred years of relative peace and quiet, People killing each other as they always do, but for Galarian attitudes, relatively peaceful. In the year minus 1600, Kellards and Druids of the Green Faith in Sikorus, which I know is a country that Brad loves, he's going to quickly talk about, but they defeated the Frost, defeated like an army of Frost Giants at a site that became the Threshold Prison and would one day become the heart of. Of the world. Which unfortunately doesn't happen for many, many, many years. But yeah, Sarkoris was a very interesting yeah. place. I said lots of druids and kelids and also summoners, which was interesting. They had a, a particular type of summoner called a god caller, which could literally bond with minor little deity things. Uh, like Adam, like, you know, god of this particular forest. So we're not talking like god god, but just like tiny little deities. Um, and bring them into reality. It was like, you know, they're the local gods of the families and clans and stuff. So it wasn't particularly all-powerful, but still pretty cool. Um, and yeah, it was a great, great place to be until demons, but we'll get to that when we finally do get to talk about the world. <laughs> when we start talking about the ancient throne. Yeah, much later on. Um, down south, though, yeah, in Assyrian, we have the four pharaohs of Ascension. And they bring about the Second Age of Assyria, also known as the Age of the Black Sphinx. Uh, Assyria kind of rises and falls a couple of times, but one of the things that doesn't ever change is that it's powerful. To this day, throughout the entire time, don't fuck with Assyria. <laughs> I mean, they did get taken over by the Kel- uh, the Kelishites at one Yeah, point but as I said, they rise and fall, but they always come back. Like her. Um, in <laughs> All right. uh, in northwest Garun, though, while this happened, uh, the four pharaohs actually managed to finally defeat the Tekratani League, uh, and they incorporated a lot of the city-states uh, while destroying a whole bunch of the others. And this is kind of where Thuvia came into yeah, it as well. as I said, um, don't fuck with the Syria. one of the city-states. Yeah. They kind of just had got had bit, gotten sick of all of these people living to the uh, northwest of them and went, okay, this is ours now. The league was like, mm, no. And they went, this is ours yeah, now. Kind of hard to say no to the legions. Um, but a little <laughs> bit of north of that, about 200 years later in 1281 AR, um, you actually had the birth of an empire. Or a kingdom. I, I don't know. Principality. Anyway, there was a guy called General Taldaris who lived in Opar. And there was a bunch of city-states around there, all around the inner sea region, just to the east of what would eventually 
become a very important town that a city that isn't there yet. Um, but he ended up going around and beating everyone up, basically, conquering all these city-states and made Opara, um, which was the first of the capital cities, or the, the capital city that would eventually become Taldar, or Taldaris, which would eventually become Taldor, which we can obviously talk about much later on. But for now, it's still just a little precedent, new thing growing. And one of the things I love about this guy is that he has a very Herculean upbringing. Because he was like... Mythology talks about the fact that he was raised by wild lions on the Tandak Plains. Mm. And even as a youth, like he did things like beheading a cockatrice with his bare hands. Yes, it's, <laughs> the Taldor is sort of... It's not exactly Roman, is it? Stylings? But it's pretty close. It's very, very yeah. similar. Like he's Because he's the first emperor, the grand prince of Taldor. Yeah, eventually. but that doesn't come in just so. yet. But yeah, it's... Taldor yeah. isn't... It's... It's pseudo-Roman, I guess you could say. Like, it's got a lot of a lot of those same elements brought in. So, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. He's an interesting yes, guy. But Taldor will come much more into being later on. So, once again, as we talked about before, uh, Assyrian kind of ebbed and flowed in its power over the years. Uh, and even though the four pharaohs of Ascension back in uh, minus 1400 had solidified Assyrian again. By the year minus 892 AR, uh, Assyrian strength had started to slip again. And at this point, two of their kind of city-states, Nex and Geb, went to war. Uh, And this war itself lasts 1,500 years. Uh, Their first skirmishes occurred around the uh, Ustradi River, which happened to be right smack bang in the middle of where the Manor Wastes are right now. And that kind of just shows like that that ebb and flow of the Assyriani um, country itself, because they had huge control over large land. That when they had a bad pharaoh, like they did at this time, that kind of shrunk in a bit, and they stopped taking care of their outlying regions. Pretty terrifying stuff. Um, but a couple of hundred years after that, we start to meet a great old friend that a lot of people seem to be very, very, very familiar with. Um, has anyone ever heard of the Tarask? Does anyone know that he's actually one of the spawns of Rovagog? I think that's a little bit less. Yeah, most people don't seem to know that one. But he showed up, good old Taraski boy. Um, The king of Tarask. Yeah, tears himself out of the World Edge Mountains, comes into Taldor, spies Opara, capital city, lovely little place, Talton City. Yeah, let's eat that, om nom nom. Oh, Flying Shori City of Ko. There we go. We'll eat that one too. Nom, nom, nom. Um, and just yep. destroys basically everything in its path. For anyone who has looked at the Tarask stats, uh, hard to bring down. Um, and yeah, it basically wrecks everything until they can't kill it. So they just kind of seal it away. Yeah. I also do love that its other name is the Armageddon Engine. Yeah, kind of terrifying. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and it was during that time that obviously one of the, the first flying city uh, of the Shori Empire, the city of Ko, gets knocked into the uh, barrier wall in Garund and destroyed. Yeah, turns out when a flying city crashes, doesn't doesn't do very well. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it's, it's not the fall that kills them, it's the sudden stop. Yes, that tends to be what happens most <laughs> of the time. Falling is actually quite freeing. Uh, but yeah, so that happened, it wasn't great, and at about same time about 10 years later i think 
we actually had far, far up the north an Ulfin warrior named Sabion Armfang who defeated a Kraglinorm, which is a kind of like a serpentile dragon. If you don't know what they are, check them out. They're pretty cool. He kills one single-handedly near the mouth of the Rhineflow River, and he goes, I am the Lidorn King! And everyone was like, yes, you are. You killed one of those things. We will follow you. And that then became the default, where you want to become a Lidorn King? Sure, go kill a Lidorn. And people were like, but do, do we have to? And they're like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> there is no other way this works you either kill it or you know yeah, so basically their kings were warlords of the nth potential and you don't want to fuck with them because if they can take out a dragon single-handedly enough said enough <laughs> 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 said <Yeah. laughs> um and a lot actually happened around that region. Uh, we'll, we'll go into that again at some point in time when I talk with the about the land of the Linom kings with someone. But that was the start of some incredibly epic things that happened around that area. And they are one of my favourite human ethnicities in all of Pathfinder, in all honesty. I absolutely love... Because you're just a Viking people. at heart, Liam, don't lie. I'm all... Yeah, just, I am just like I'm a dwarf at heart. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we do go a couple of... Uh, about 150 years into the uh, future, and we're looking at another Linorn King. Olvis. An Olfen Linon king from the north, uh, who discovered, quote unquote, the land of Arcadia, just like Christopher Columbus discovered <coughs> America. Um, and he founded a colony of Olfen over there called Valenhall. Uh, but by doing so, he kind of began this traditions that old Linon kings had one last great journey um, across to Valenhall. It's very Leif Erikson, isn't it? Um, like traveling yes, across as you get old, traveling. It's ocean. almost a bit Lord of the Ringsy, isn't it? We shall go to the far. To the yeah, but it, instead, it's we send very angry old men to Valhall. Yeah, you gotta love that from an Arcadian perspective as well. It's like what humans were there; they were like, um, "We were already here," and an orphan Linon king is like, "Do I look?" I just like love I the care? fact that it's it's not like a young man <laughs> in his prime. It's some old grizzled greybeard gets off a boat using a battle axe probably as a freaking walking stick and they're like oh this is our area and he just goes whack and carves through three people in one hit and they're like you know what you can have an old man and this is what their old men look like what do the young men look like little <laughs> <laughs> do they know that the old men are the ones yeah. that have killed dragons in their youth yeah that would have been a terrifying sight yeah. for anyone but as uh, old men ventured across the ocean we had something else kind of stirring up in the land of the Linon Kings um, obviously, we talked a little bit about Fasalon last time, and there was two of the old countries still left. A little bit. Uh, there was old Cyrusian. Cyrusian, mate. Cyrusian. Cyrusian. So you had Cyrusian and Edrasil. Edrasil. And the giants from those countries that were left behind kind of unite behind the rune giant queen Ledamaru. So we haven't gone through what a rune and giant is before. They were literally created by the Thessalonians. I'm just going to block my ears um, for this. Yeah, uh... you're playing in a rune lord's campaign. But they were created by the Thessalonians. They were gargantuan, terrifying things with the power to enslave giants with the click of their fingers. So, yeah, they might have followed. They might have been told to follow. We don't know. <laughs> but it started the four-year-long giant kin war <coughs> with the uh, Lenorn kings mm. at the time. 
Which the Giants didn't do great in. No, turns out they're not kidding. They went up against a land full of people who killed dragons as as a rite of passage. There also weren't many rune giants left, and, like, normal giants don't hold a candle to rune giants, unfortunately. Even the mighty cloud giants and storm giants and stuff don't come close. So, yeah. Um... Yes, hi, Helm, the Dwarven Settlement. It was founded within the mountain called Emperor's Peak, in what is today known as the Five King Mountain. So this was one of the final of the Sky Citadels that was founded. That is one of the only... Oh, there's a couple still remaining, as I said. But yeah, this was one of the last ones. And the Five King Mountains now is one of the prevalent and predominant Dwarven sections, I guess you could say, where Dwarves still reign supreme, as they should. Um... This is almost like their their actual yeah. country because like you've got the city of Yanderhof but it's just yeah. the city of Yanderhof whereas Highholm is kind of the capital of the Five Kings Mountain which, which yeah, is it's the only place where it's like this is like that Kjolnir is the elvish area High, like you know Five Kings Mountain is the dwarvish area and the whole of is the orcish area but you'll find others around the place exactly so yeah I, I, is there an actual adventure yeah. path that happens in Five Kings Mountains I wish there was there's some that happen close by like all the ones that happen in um Oh, I've just gone completely de- brain dead. You know, the um, Droskin's yeah, Crag and but, stuff. Yeah, uh, but nothing actually about the dwarves, which nothing makes Nothing that I know sad. of in Highhorn. I'm sure someone will prove Please do. If there is, I want to but... know about it. I like myself some dwarves. <laughs> Brad just likes his Scottish accent. Same as me. I don't think you can call it Scottish. It's some though... sort of bastardized mix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's dwarven. Idea of dwarven, anyway. Let's just go with uh, And one of the last things that happened uh, during this age in minus 44 AR, or... 2,456 of the Imperial calendar, Agmazar the Star Titan, a kaiju, fell from the sky and lands in the Valishmai jungle of southern Tianzi. And when this uh, kaiju fell, it created a place called the Star Titan's Grave. Why was it called the Star Titan's Grave, though? Because it got smacked down. <laughs> There's not one kaiju, there's many kaiju. Yeah, if you've ever seen Godzilla, you know that whenever one kaiju shows up, another one shows up, and they must fight. And that is exactly what basically happened. Agbazar shows up, and it's like, rawr, I'm gonna take over this place. And then another kaiju, called King Mogaru, shows up and basically goes, what? Fuck you! And the epic smackdown of the century began. And King Mogaru is, quite literally, if you think of Godzilla, but with two tails, freaking colossal, terrifying, 140-foot-tall beast, 200,000 tons of bipedal dinosaur. Um, yeah, terrifying stuff. So kaijus do actually exist in this Galarian, which is crazy. Uh, if anyone is interested in... Thankfully, they, they go to do. Sleep a lot. But um, <laughs> basically, woke up, kicked the shit out of this person, and then went back to sleep in a lake in a jungle somewhere, which no one knows, and prays it doesn't wake up again. Because um, putting it in perspective, a kaiju has a higher CR. Oh, than hell yeah, mask. definitely does. Um, I don't know if they're quite as indestructible, but they are—they could kill the like, knock the Tarask out, and then go back to sleep. The Tarask will just get back up eventually. Um, the, the interesting thing that I find about kaiju is they have a property called the massive property, which is just going into rules for a second. They only consider cities, mountains, and forests as difficult terrain, <laughs> which means they move half speed through a city. Amazing. That's that's the only thing that slows them down. They could have an army. Have you got the stats up? What is it? Uh, I don't. I don't think there is actually stats for Magaru specifically. Um, there aren't. 
they aren't specified a lot of the time, unfortunately. I know there is somewhere, but I don't have them with me. I think it's in bestiary number four for that one, but I don't remember exactly what it is. But it's something... I think it's got, like, an 80-foot base speed. Like, that's just one step. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, there, there definitely is um, a stat block. It's, I've got it here. It's, it's base speed. Oh, okay. Yeah, faster than I thought. Cool. I knew it was something like 80. But yeah, think of a two-tailed Godzilla. That is basically what it is. And yeah, they are CR28. So you're not, uh, you're not supposed to fight this. No one is supposed to fight this. <laughs> so, but yeah. When one kaiju shows up, a second one will always come up, and they will fight, and one shall be left. And then you pray it goes the fuck to sleep. Go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. Yeah. And speaking of something waking up from sleep, the end of this period, which is, I guess, AR0. There is no AR zero. It skips straight over. It goes from AR negative one to AR one. AR one. Oh, fine. Well, well, I, zero would be the exact instant this happened. Then yeah. <laughs> there is a man, a man we shall know and love in the future by the name of Aradin, someone that I know Liam is very, very partial to. I am. Who was the last of the Azalanti, They say the last Keeping of the in mind first by this point humans. in time. How many years has it been since Aslan fell? About five thousand or so. <laughs> And he traveled through places like Arcadia, and he traveled through places like uh, Gurund and Vistan and everywhere. And then eventually he found his way back to the inner sea, to where Aslan fell. And with all the power of what an Aslanti human is, reached into the ocean and plucked forth a stone, and thereby became a god. Which brings in a whole new age that we can talk about next. And thus ends the Age of Destiny. And begins the Age of Enthronement. We're going to take a whole episode next week to talk about the Age of Enthronement. Because so much crap has happened. So much shit happens. Yeah. But uh, before we do, uh, we're just going to take one more quick break. Uh, come back and have a quick chat. We're not going to do Monster of the Week this week because we didn't talk about a lot of monsters that we can actually fight. Um, <laughs> Godzilla, Godzilla! <laughs> We're going to have a quick chat around our personal pick for where we would place an adventure. So we'll be right back. See you soon. everyone and welcome back to your adventure of the week so uh liam i hope you're thinking about yours i am going to go first because surprise surprise i'm going to choose something to do with dwarves <laughs> and i'm going to be actually chatting about your mordun which is one of the dwarvish sky citadels that was taken over and it's been used in a couple of different little uh scenarios that's useful for pathfinder um in some of the uh, society stuff, I believe. But you could also make a lot more out of this. Now, it's located in Sarkoris, which is also known as the Whirlwind now. Full of demons. But it is actually controlled primarily by a clan of Dwergar, who have forsaken Droskar to instead worship the demon lord Shivaska. 
And there is all sorts of cool things there about things called the Sky Key and whatever. I'm not going to go into that now for spoilers in case you want to play those. But the cool thing about it is that it looks from the outside just like a, a tower. You know, sitting out of a, a three-story tower, sits on a cliff several feet, several hundred feet in height. That's about all it looks like. It's completely innocuous. Uh, except the light of the sun combined with the Warwood's unusual weather can reveal ancient eroded carvings of dwarven faces that are in the mountainside on the cliffside. And if you were to actually go down through that tower, you'd realize that pretty much the entirety of the Sky Citadel, as most of them are, are actually underground, because that's where dwarves are happiest. And about two-thirds of the below ground are still filled with ancient dwarven traps and guardians, because when the dwarves were losing this Sky Citadel, they didn't just get wiped out. They were knew they were losing. So they trapped the shit out of it on the way out. They did everything they could to try and stop people from taking their citadel, and even then, only a third of it has actually been taken on by Dwego. The rest of it is still uninhabited because of just how terrifying these traps are. But where there are traps, there is great riches. So uh, if you are doing anything in the World Wound, if you're running a Wrath of Righteous campaign, or you just want to do a scenario, I guess you could say, a little mini one-shot adventure, consider Jormundun. There would be, I'm pretty sure there'll be some maps out there somewhere, otherwise feel free to make your own up, because you can play with Dwega, you can play with traps, and you can make them as deadly as you need to. And they definitely know that at the end of uh, Book 6 of Wrath of the Righteous, in the uh, continue with the adventure, is one of the things they kind of suggest, and they give you some things in there to kind of get a better understanding of it as well. Yeah, the fact that they say it's the end of a mythic campaign idea is as well kind of terrifying. Yep. Liam, what about you? Tell us yours. All right, well, you might not be able to tell. I quite like some of those ancient civilizations, the Jiska Imperium, uh, the Shori Empire, Old Man Mugumboy. Uh, but for me particularly, it's the flying cities of the Shuri Empire that I really, really love. And you can actually quite easily explore the fallen city of the ruins of Ko. Uh, mm. When the Teresque knocked it out of the air and smashed it into the barrier wall mountains, it made a pass that is now known as the Koran Pass between the Mighty Expanse and Osirian. And there is a whole, there is maps. There is so much information about this place, uh, all in the Lost Cities of Galarian book, um, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, like the history around it, the lore, um, like the different creatures that are there as well. It's definitely a high level. You don't want to go there too low a level. Like some of the <laughs> things you kind of go up against is you've got like a noble married. Uh, her name is uh, Karam Abol Gassim. And she's the self-proclaimed ruler of Ko. Um, you have uh, Zuli Chaku, who is a Morlock cleric of Lamashtu, as well as a couple of Astra demons uh, in there as well. But they're just like some of the small, like some of the things you'll just touch points on, because uh, there's huge amounts of things that are made there. Some midnight milk, which is like some a, an addictive drug, is made there as well. Um, but yeah, just crazy, crazy things are made in Ko. Crazy people are there, and. The map of it itself is incredible. It's just this in this pass is just these ruined buildings, and as a river runs through it. And I personally would love to take an adventure there at some point. Um, you're looking, I would probably estimate. Uh, CR. I, I personally would say at least everything's minimum going to be CR ten. There is t- tables and stuff for anything higher, but I think to really have fun there, you want to be a higher level to kind of take on some of the bigger things. 
Uh, the, the benefit is that, like, both, or, you know, Yomundun and then that one, there is a lot of leeway, but again, like, to make it fit in the law of the world, you're going to need to have it leave, like, at least a tenth of a party, probably. Yeah, like, you can definitely go there earlier, and there is tables and things, especially in uh, Velocities of Galarian for Co. There's tables to go there at low level. Um, I just don't think it would be anywhere near as fun. Yeah, because if you roll one bad random encounter, you're dead. <laughs> yeah, basically. Because uh, at the end of the day, if you really want to f- be fighting the biggest thing there, it's it's CR six, uh, 15. Yep. So, Which is somewhat 12th level shit. 13th yeah, level shit. like minimum, I'd say 11th if you really want to punish your party, but probably 12th That's level. death. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. the, the other thing is that there's CRs and then there's CRs, you know what I mean? Like there's, you could take two CR15s and put them together and one of them will stomp the other one. So yeah, exactly. you always got to be careful with CRs. Exactly. But anyway, for now, I think that kind of wraps up our dive into the more ancient of the ages of Galarian. And I hope everyone enjoyed listening in at home or wherever you are. And if you do have any questions, feel free to shoot us a message through our Hobbit podcast Facebook page, our Instagram or Twitter accounts, whichever one you want. And then next week, we're going to look at some more of Galarian's history. We're going to start, of course, with the Age of Enthronement and Aridin. But for now, I am Brad. And I'm Liam. Good, Good night, night Galarian. Galarian. We'll see you next time. <laughs>